0: you can turn over your bibles we're going to be over in john chapter 15 first you can either turn there or you can look up on the screen and allow bruce or dan whoever's going to be turning our flipping our pages back there it's nice to see dan back today too he's home for for break genie kalmont at 120 years old was the oldest living human whose birth date could be authenticated And when they asked her to describe her vision for the future, she replied, very brief. When the reporter asked the birthday girl what she liked best about being 102 years old, and she said, well, there's no peer pressure. (laughs) John Fetterman in Madison, Wisconsin, told of an elderly woman who died last April. Having never married, she requested that no male pallbearers would be uh, used to carry her uh, out of the service. Her instructions were this. The men wouldn't take me out while I was alive. I don't want them to take me out when I'm dead. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Well, you can hear from the things these people are saying that they've been meditating on a few things and that there are thought processes that can be shaped by the things that we meditate on and think on. And certainly that is the, the case with us. We have been looking over the last number of weeks about fruitfulness, how we can become fruitful how we can bear fruit. We know from John chapter 15, and if you are over there already, turn over. John the 15th chapter. This is our text verse for this. We haven't been into it as much. We spent quite a bit of time in the first part. But Jesus says this, I am the true vine. And we learn from that that first off there are false false vines. Just because you're attached to a vine doesn't mean you're attached to the true vine. We want to be attached to the true vine. And my Father is the vine dresser. So Jesus is not the vine dresser. Who is? Father. The Father. We are not the vine dresser. The Father is. There's only one vine dresser and that's the Father. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes and it may bear more fruit. And we are? We are the branches. All of us. There's no exalted branches and lower branches. or such. We're all the branches. The Father is the vine dresser then there is one vine. If there's one vine, there's one vine dresser. That's their role. We got to make sure that we don't cross over and start doing vine dresser roles. We spent time looking at what the fruit was because if we are to be fruitful, it is necessary that we understand what fruit is. And a lot of times you go up to Christians, you say, are you bearing fruit? Well, I hope so. I, I don't really know. I, I hope. hope when I get there, I find out that I'm fruitful. Yeah, but that's not good. Because if you get to the other side and find out that you weren't fruitful, there's some problems. Because first off, he says, what, what happens to a branch that, he doesn't, that doesn't bear fruit? Cut it off. He cuts it off. That doesn't sound good. I'd rather not be cut off. So it's imperative that we bear fruit. Over in Galatians, they list some of the, the characteristics of the fruit. But understand this, there is one vine. How many fruits does a vine produce? It may produce many fruit, but how many kinds? One one, One kind. You cannot have varying fruits on a single vine, can you? And over in Galatians, when it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, there is one fruit that we bear as Christians and it is the fruit of. It does not say the fruits of the Spirit are. It says the fruit of the spirit is. And so we spend time looking at that. There, there is one fruit. That fruit is love. But the characteristics of love are the things that he lists: Joy, peace, long-suffering, gladness, all the different things he puts in there. Those are all characteristics of love. If you walk in love, those are the things you will have. And so we cannot be Christians that, well, I bear fruit in patience. Well, I bear fruit in goodness. No, if you bear fruit, you bear fruit in love. And these are the things that will come out. And you can't pick and choose which one of those characteristics that you like better. Because you're not the vine dresser. Who is? Now, he he prunes those that are attached, not those that are unattached. And we learn from other places in the Word of God that God deals with Christians differently than he deals with non-Christians. Because he doesn't prune them. But Christians he prunes. And his purpose is not to make you fruitful, is it? The purpose of fruit or of, of, of pruning is to make you more fruitful. Pruning will not make you fruitful, but it will make you more fruitful. You have to bear fruit yourself. You have to become attached to the vine. If we are attached to the vine, if the word of God says, and we kept, could keep on going in John 15 and read the rest of it there. But we find out that if, if his words abide in us, if I abide in him and his words abide in us, what happens to us? We bear much fruit, don't we? That's the key to it. But then once we start bearing fruit, then the father comes along and he starts pruning some things. And so we took a look at the process of pruning and we found out that pruning is not just removing the bad stuff because so often we look at pruning. God's trying to get rid of this. Oh, God's pruning something that's bad off of me. But pruning is not just getting rid of the bad stuff. Sometimes pruning is getting rid of the good stuff. You remember who we looked at for that? We looked at Peter. Peter's up there on the roof. He went up there at the time of prayer. He's up there on the roof. And the Spirit of God came down and gave him a vision. And he was hungry. I was to go out there to, to pray. And as he was hungry, he had this vision. And all these four-footed animals were up there. And the Spirit of God said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, we talked about this. Most of us, when we get hungry, we, we picture plates. They pictured live animals, livestock walking around. I don't know about you, but you know when I get hungry, I don't picture a cow. A burger, a steak, things like that. That's what I usually picture. But that's what his vision was. And so this happened three times. We found out that God was not trying to impose upon Peter that, well, you know, you deny me three times, so I've got to do everything with you three times. It reminds you that you deny. That's wrong. That's not what God does. But God was stretching the importance to it. And we looked at a number of reasons why he probably had that three times. But well, we're not going to get into all that here now. But Peter was was being pruned, but not to take away things, but to add things. He said, what I have called clean, don't call unclean. God sometimes will add things. Part of the pruning process is sometimes God wants you to pick up a new talent. Sometimes God wants you to pick up a language. Sometimes God wants you to pick up some different friends or or be associated with different groups of people. You know, we looked at sometimes God might want you to go out and buy a motorcycle so that you can associate with people. We've heard people have done that. They bought motorcycles and started associating with folks with motorcycles so they could have a fruit and have some uh, harvest in that area. So pruning is not always removing negative stuff. Sometimes it's adding things. But that's part of the pruning process and that's what the Father God does and we need to yield to it. So we begin to look at how God begins to prune us. We spent a number of time on this but now we want to take a look at some other things as far as this pruning process is concerned. But before we do that we're going to go over here and take a look over at Galatians. Just to review this, we covered this before. We covered this very extensively going over each of these characteristics of the fruit. But let's go all the way back to verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, evil, or I'm sorry, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And we spent time on each of these characteristics so we could have a better understanding of what each of these characteristics was and not just one that we have in our head. And so as we spend time on these, it's good for us just to review this and just understand this is what fruit will look like. The fruit of the Spirit is love, but it's going to look like these things here. Joy peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. So with that, let's get on over here. And we're going to begin over in John chapter 15. and verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. The word there for prune is a word that is also translated cleanse. It is from the word katharil. It means to cleanse or to prune, very simply. That part of this process of pruning is the cleansing. And we talked about that a little bit, but we just want to spend a little more time on this part. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 2. For then would they not have ceased to be offered for the worshippers, once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. There's the same word there, purified. That God wants us to be cleansed. God wants us to be purified. And that's part of his pruning process. There's another word that is used a little bit stronger. And that is ek kathero. It means to cleanse out, to clean thoroughly, and to avoid defilement from one and so to keep oneself pure. In First Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 7, Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover would, was sacrificed by us. So, purge it out. Get rid of these things. This is the, this is the process. Eck is just emphasizing this. Even more, clean it out thoroughly. Get rid of all this stuff. But this is the thing that we have to begin to do. There is a cleansing process that we begin to do. How many of you all grew up and one of your jobs as a, as a child was to wash the dishes? That's mostly because you know, mom and dad had to do it when they were kids, so it's only right. So, they, they, you know, kids learn how to wash dishes, and of course now it's just loading up the dishwasher. But I grew up in the days, you know, when the, my, uh, we had dishwashers, certain people had dishwashers, but we didn't need one because my grandfather always said that he was there. And he was a good dishwasher. He was good. Now, he, was, uh, he, he couldn't walk as well as, as everybody else. So what he would do is he'd get a little stool and he'd sit in the stool and he'd wash. But everyone else had to dry. And this, this man, he would use water that was so hot. Oof. You know, if we went in there to get something, we'd burn our hands. But he'd be in there just washing dishes. And he'd, if we were washing dishes and he came up and he'd check out the water, he says, how can you wash dishes in cold water? It wasn't cold to us, but it was cold to him. So he wanted hot water and he'd wash those things. But I'll tell you what, he washed them thoroughly. They were cleaned outside. They were cleaned inside. And all we had to do was dry them and put them away. And he would go to town. He would just, just really, really begin to go. But how many of y'all know it's real important that you clean both the outside and inside? You have a dishwasher. We put dishwashers in. How many of y'all inspect the dishes when they come out of the dishwasher? Because you've had experience before where you pull something out of the dishwasher or missed it, put it up in the cabinet, pulled it down, and there's food. Not only food in there, but now it's cooked and dried, and it's just it's not real good. That's not something we, we like to see. We like to see clean stuff. And you know if you find that dried off piece of food even though it has gone through the dishwasher and going through the dishwasher it's been sterilized nothing's <laughs> going to live inside that thing. But if there's that little tiny piece of food and it's dried on there, what happens to the thing? Do you scrape it off and use it? No. no. Why? Because we want clean we want clean stuff. Some of you people other people But uh, some of you, you know if you drop a fork on the, on the ground that's it, it goes into the, into the sink, right? Yeah, I don't do that. But some of you might. You know, if I drop it off, I'm still working the five-second rule. You know, you drop an M&M on the ground, it's still perfectly fine, just wipe it off. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but you know, we have this idea in our heads about what we want for things to be cleansed. And if we get a little bit of, uh, if we get a bowl and there's a little speck of dirt on it, even if the dirt is not in a place where we're, we're eating, I mean, it's go- It's gone. Get that stuff out of there. We want it to be clean. But for ourselves, we're willing to put up with some stuff. I want the dishes that I eat off of to be clean. But as far as I'm concerned, I'm, it's okay if I have a little bit of this going on. It's okay if I have a little bit of, of that going on. It's, I mean, come on, God, don't be so picky. But, you know, just think back to your dishes. You see the little bit of food on there. What happens? Mm No, sir, we don't like that stuff at all. In 2 Timothy 2, uh, verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the Master, prepared for every good work. If anyone does what? Cleanses Cleanses himself from the latter. It's our responsibility to cleanse ourselves from these things. Now, we spend time on this verse of Scripture. We don't have to get into a whole lot of it right now. But we have to cleanse ourselves from the latter. The thing that's going to keep you from being a vessel of honor is what you do or do not cleanse yourself from. It's up to you. You got to get, got to become more picky. Now, Second Timothy. Let's go back over to verse nineteen. Second Timothy chapter nineteen. I want us to take a look at a couple of words that are used in, in all this. It's uh, important for us to, to take a look and to learn. We're going to, they're already in your outline, but I want you to see how they are in the scriptures here. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those that are His and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Go on to verse 20. But in a great house, there are not, well, we read that. Let's go on to verse 21. Therefore, if anyone, again, cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. And here we go, verse 22. Flee also youthful lusts. Flee also useful lust. This is the thing. How do you flee something? Can anyone flee for you? If someone is chasing you and you flee, you can't delegate that, can you? You have to do it yourself. Only you can flee. I can't flee for you. I can flee for me, but I can't flee for you. If someone's chasing you, you got to flee. You're the, if, if you want to get away from them, then you've got to be the one who flees and who runs away from the thing flee also useful lust God can't flee for you Jesus can't flee for you the Holy Spirit can't flee for you you have to flee for yourself he says flee useful lust doesn't mean hang around become buddies try and minister to the lust doesn't say to do any of that try and you know uh, refine rejuvenate no flee it get away Sometimes, you know, some people, that's not always ladies, but uh, particularly amongst ladies. How many of y'all know what it's like to flee a bug? (laughs) You know, a large spider? What do you do when the large spider comes up? You flee, which means get as far away from the object as you can. You know, mice, people like to flee mice. How about snakes? Snakes. If you see a snake, how many people want to say, well, what kind of snake is it? I'm not sure if I should flee this snake or not. Is it poisonous? Let me pick it up and no, we don't do that, do we? We see the snake and we flee. Except for those people who, you know, know snakes and mess with them a little bit and play around with them some and have some fun. But that's what it is. When you see the thing, you flee. You don't begin to think, well, you know, it's not that big of a snake. It's not that big of a spider. We don't think logically like that when we're afraid of something. What do we do? We see it? Bang! We're out. Gone. Not going to hang around with that thing. I'm not trying to find out whether I should flee. I see it. I flee. And the same thing with lust. When lusts come up, flee them! Get out! You don't need them. They're not going to help you. So flee useful lust. He also goes on and says, but pursue. So, you know, flee this. Flee means you're running away from something. But pursue means you're running after something. So, Run away from this, but run after this. Well, what are we supposed to pursue? Righteousness, Righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. These are the things we are to pursue. These are the things we go after. Sometimes we end up fleeing some of these things and pursuing some of the lust things. That's why our Christian life is all messed up. That's why we're not producing the fruit that we need to do. So flee... And pursue. Those are two of our words. Let's take a look at another one. Go on to verse 23. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. Avoid is the next word I want you to see. So we have flee, we have pursue, and we have avoid. If you, now if, I, I can tell you how to figure out a void. How many of you have caller ID on your? <laughs> you know exactly what avoid is, don't you? You go up to that caller ID, I know who that is. I don't want to talk to them. I'm not going to answer. What are you doing? Avoiding. Avoiding. If it's an 800 number, why do you avoid that one? They're trying to sell me something. They're trying to poll me or something. I'm not going to get involved with that. I don't want to do. You avoid it, don't you? And you avoid it by, you go away. Now it's not a flea. You don't run away from it like you do a spider or a snake or a rat but you avoid it. Nah, I'm just not going to do that. You know, if there's somebody back in your unsaved days, not not now, of course, but in your unsaved days, maybe there's somebody you didn't like a whole lot and you saw them walking down the mall. What would you do? Now, avoid. You're not fleeing. You're not running the other way because that would make a, 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 a ruckus and draw attention to yourself. No, we don't do that. What do we do? We're looking every which way to pretend not to see them. Because If I don't see them, I don't have to deal with them. Um, avoiding. We're avoiding. How many of you ever had a funny noise in your car? And you're not prepared for a funny noise in your car. You don't have the money to deal with the funny noise. No matter what it is, you don't have the money to deal with the funny noise. And so what do you do about the funny noise? You it. Ignored it. I'm not paying attention to you. I'm avoiding you. I'm, no, I'm not going to get involved. No, I'm not going to think about what it is. No, nope, no, nope, no. Nope. I'm avoiding it. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. But see, most people don't avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. We embrace them. You see, because embracing is the opposite of avoiding. When I avoid somebody, I, I go away from the other side. Now, you know, when I saw Steve walk into church, I was thinking about avoiding him. But instead I went up and embraced it. No, I wasn't even thinking about avoiding them at all. It was good to see We haven't seen them for years. <laughs> so, But there's a difference from avoiding to embracing. And sometimes we are embracing the foolish disputes when the Word of God said to avoid foolish disputes. But see, we all know how to avoid. But we look at this verse... Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. Alright, well, I should avoid. I don't know what that means. But uh, You know how to avoid a phone call. You know how to avoid a funny noise. You know how to avoid all kinds of stuff. You know how to avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. First off, you have to identify this is a foolish and ignorant dispute. This is not a good one. First time I started applying, applying this because you know, when I was going to college, I was a good debater. I was a good arguer. And I could argue anybody under the table. Because I was good. Most people, you know, when I was going to college, and I went to a college who was a Baptist college, and they generally believed most things differently from I did, from how I did. But here was the problem with them arguing with me I knew their argument. I knew their argument better than they knew their argument. And I knew my argument. Now, it's tough to debate somebody who knows your argument and their own argument when you don't even know your own. And so we would begin to have this foolish dispute that I embraced, and I got a hold of. And we would have these these disputes and we would go back and forth on the thing and they'd get stuck and I'd say, well, you want this scripture over here. And then you want this scripture over here and then you want this scripture over here and then don't forget this one. You left that one out. And by then they're totally disarmed. I mean, how can you argue with somebody who's helping you with your argument? And then I would go through and systematically destroy their argument. And, uh, and you know, in love. i just take them apart and so you know but that was that was foolish but then all of a sudden it dawned on me that these were foolish and and stupid things and so one time i came home from college and i was back over with the youth group and the youth group had all gotten together and and um, some of them had gone off to college and they all come back together it was around christmas time and so they were they were all there and they were having this conversation and the conversation was about church membership debating about church membership and then going on and I sat there and listened to him for a while, didn't make any comment at all. A few people looked over at me, expecting me to say something. Didn't say anything at all. And after they were going on about it for a while, I, I got a hold of this other guy. He said, you want to play one of, play, I think it was Arthello. I hadn't played that whole lot, but I remember the, the game, and so I was like, oh, I'll learn this, how to play this. So I went over there and we played Arthello for a little while. And, uh, the people, they kept going on their debate, and finally one of them just got fed up and said, Steve, don't you have anything to add? I said, why? God didn't care if you're a member of a church or not I care a member of a church. All He cares about you're saved. And I went on and played my game. It was a foolish and ignorant dispute. But you see, before I didn't realize it was a foolish and ignorant dispute. What I would do with foolish and ignorant disputes? Embrace them! But now, I avoid them. Because we don't need to have foolish and ignorant disputes. We need to embrace the good things and get rid of the other. So see, I know how to avoid. I know how to embrace Make sure you avoid foolish and ignorant disputes because they what? They generate strife. How many people have gotten awful in church membership or, or some other stuff like that and just gotten all kinds of strife about it? I mean, does it help anybody get saved? Does it help anybody mature? Doesn't help anybody at all. So let's, we don't need to get involved in those kind of things. That's what's going to generate. It's going to generate strife. If you have too much strife in your life, check out. Have I been embracing ignorant disputes? Let's go on to the next verse. Verse 24. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. Oh, so before we go off to the next one. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel. Must not quarrel. So these are some things we should not do. We shouldn't quarrel. But be gentle... To all, right? Gentle to who? All. Now, I found this translation. How many of you all like it when you find some, some some neat translations? I found a translation. It's uh, the, the NCPV. And I I wanted to read you what it said. But avoid... Yeah, wrong one. Verse uh, 24, that's where we're at. But be gentle to all, parentheses, except your spouse... <laughs> Except your unruly neighbor, except your nasty boss, and except in-laws. Now, how many like that translation? NCPV, the new common practice version. The new common practice version. This is how most people practice it, right? I mean, be gentle to all except for your spouse. Be gentle to all except for your kids. Be gentle to all except for a nasty boss. Be gentle to all except for the guy who pulled out in front of you. Come on. Does it say to be gentle to all? But do we not find exceptions? We are constantly finding exceptions of people that we should not be gentle to. Unruly uh, customer service people. How many of you like to be gentle to unruly customer service people? Should we be gentle to firemen who kick us out of church? <laughs> but doesn't say be gentle at all. Be gentle at all so we cannot pull out the NCPV. And write in our own little things and say, "Well, I'm not going to be gentle because I don't like them. They're nasty. They're mean." It doesn't matter. It says be gentle to all. 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 We gotta be gentle to all. This is something we're supposed to be doing. Not quarreling, but be gentle to all. So when you get that unruly service person on the customer service person on the phone and you want to start arguing with them, what's it say? So which version are you going to obey? The NCPV? <laughs> or something else? No, you've got to obey what the Word of God says. Be gentle to all. That's how we need to do. Now it also said, besides being gentle, He says, able to teach. We should all be able to teach. In other words, the things that you learn on Sunday, the things that you learn on Wednesday, the things that you learn listening to tapes, Going through, or, or MP3s now is the big one. The things that you learn, you should be able to teach to other people. But not in a quarrelsome way. Not embracing stupid arguments. This is how we should be going about. This is a fruitful person. If I don't follow this way, then I'm not going to be bearing the fruit that I need to have. And, what the, and the fruit is love. But the characteristics of that fruit are? Joy. Peace, long suffering, goodness, gladness, so forth. I'm not going to have those things going on if I'm not doing it this way. How many of you all know when you get done arguing with the customer service person on the phone, you do not feel joyful. You don't feel peace. You don't feel like there's goodness all around you. You come out of there angry and frustrated, ready to tear somebody's head off. And then the spouse comes through the door. Be gentle to all except for your spouse when you are frustrated with a customer service individual. NCPV again. See, it can be anything you want it to be. That's a great translation. <laughs> but these are things we must do. we got to flee. we got to pursue. we got to avoid. And we got to teach. And here's the last one. Go over to verse 25. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition. There is a way to correct. Again, we are not the vine dresser. But the Word of God says, if we see a brother in sin, go over there and try and help him out. So you correct humbly. So we've got to be humble, but I've got to go out there and correct. And be, be correcting. But a lot of times we don't correct as humble. We correct or we have been corrected by people who come in and say, you ain't quit doing that. That's not scriptural. That's not godly. That's not right. Quit it. That's not correcting humbly, is it? It's not doing the way we're supposed to be, be going about this thing. We're doing it wrong. So these are the things we're going to do. Here are the things we're to become. One we already talked about, gentle. To who? All. How do I do that? How do I be gentle to all people? Are you ready? Be gentle. It's not hard. Don't make this tough. Be gentle. You can either be coarse or you can be gentle. It's either way that you want to go. Now, uh, you know, with making the bunk beds and stuff like that, I do a lot with sandpaper. My wife helps me out. She does a lot with the sandpaper. We have different grits of sandpaper. Depending upon what you're doing, there's all kinds of grits of sandpaper. The, generally, the ones we stick with is called an 80 grit, 120 grit, 150 grit. And you work your way down. You start off with the 80 grit. You work your way over to the 120 grit. And then you go over to the 150 grit. Some applications you have are down into 400 and 600 grit. And some of the things you're doing are in the you know, 20 and 30 and 40 really coarse stuff. So as you can see, the lower the number, the more coarse the sandpaper is. So when we start and we go through and we, we sand something with 80 grit and you, you feel it, it's not as smooth. But it's, it's, it is smooth, but not that smooth. You, you go on through with 120. Oh, it feels a whole lot smoother. But then you go on through and you put the 150 on it. And oh, now it feels like silk. It just You just rub your hand over it. It feels just perfectly smooth. Oh, it feels so nice. And if you go back... To the 150 that you just sanded with all 150, and you accidentally sanded with 80. Guess what? You start over. Got to start all the way over. Now here's the funny thing about sandpaper, and this is why they stage it. We can we actually skip stamp, uh, stages. you actually supposed to go. Uh, the actual rating of it is 80, 100, 120 and then 150. We actually skip 100 because we find out in the wood that we're using, 120 can take out all the scrapes that we need that the 80 produces. We don't have to go to the 100. And the 150 can take out all the stuff that 120 does. But if you go all the way down to the 80, you've got enough grits and, and scratches in there, you can't just use 150 and have it come out the right way. When you, I want you to think of it for this. When you come out to some of the people that are in your all list and you come up rough, you have to come back, and you got to work with that again, because now it's all roughed up. We're supposed to be out there being gentle. We're supposed to be out there being, and not rough. But too often we go out there, and you know we've been 150, 150, 150, and then all of a sudden we have a bad day, and we're 60. Just rip it all up. Oh, now we gotta, you know, we've we've hurt our spouse, we've hurt our kids, we've damaged some things with our boss, with our neighbor. No, don't be doing that. God wants you to always be gentle. Always be gentle. Even though it may look like gentle is not going to work. You can get to heaven, you can argue with God when you're in heaven. God, I don't think gentle was always the good way to go. But down here on earth, take the instructions. Be gentle to all. Able to teach, patient. Now, he didn't say you can't be firm, but there's a difference between being firm and being, being, being firm and being gentle and being firm and being coarse. And God wants us to To be that way. So he says first off to be gentle. Next, patient. These are the things we are to become. Things that we are to become. We are to be gentle and we are to be patient. How many of y'all know what it is to be patient? How many have heard that horrendous teaching that comes out that, oh, I prayed for patience and the Lord sent all this trouble my way? God does not do that, folks. You wouldn't do it to your kids. God doesn't do it to his. It's ridiculous thought. I don't know these same people who think all kinds of weird things about their God. God does not do that. Life sends you stuff. When the sower sowed the seed and some fell by the wayside, did God go over and stomp on it? No. Did God go over and, and starve it? No. Who did? God send the birds? Who did? The enemy. Enemy, enemy is the one who's after you. Now let's go back to that patient one again. Take a look at this. I want you to see this close. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be, but be, you are to be this. First off, you are to be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. Now, do you want me to bring out the NCPV again? (laughs) Patient to all those who don't aggravate you. Patient to all those who are kind to you. Patient to all those who are nice. Patient to all those that deserve it. Patient to all as long as you are in a good mood. Come on. How many times have we lost patience with people and we have said things like, well, I'm just not in a good mood today. (laughs) Somebody just said something that got me aggravated so I'm not very patient today. Come on, haven't we all said that? We have we have built an excuse. We are following after the NCPV. How is practice? How is it practice? It's practice. Christians practice patience discriminately. I'm not sure that patience is necessarily here. Well, you know, you're supposed to be a Christian, and you're aggravating me, so I'm not going to be patient with you anymore. Patient doesn't say certain situations to be patient in. It says that you should be patient can you tell the difference between a patient person and a non-patient person can, i mean can you does it not jump out at you does it not oh, this person there is no patience in this person so if you find some person and you can tell there's no patience in this person is that person patient then are they lined up with this verse no, no. it's going to affect your fruitfulness isn't it it's going to affect how you how much fruit you, you bear but be gentle to all, able to teach patient. It doesn't mean patient with everyone who's not your spouse, with everyone who's not your kids, with everyone who's not your neighbors, with everyone who's not your in-laws, with everyone who's not a relative. It doesn't say patient with all except the ugly. It doesn't, it doesn't qualify it at all. We need to be patient. Period. And it's not even saying patient to people, is it? It said gentle to all, but it's just saying that you're supposed to be patient. You are just supposed to be patient. Now, how do I get there? How do I become patient? If I'm not supposed to pray for patience so that God will send all manner of hard times and aggravating things into my life so that I will learn patience. If I'm not supposed to do that, how am I supposed to learn patience? It's real easy, folks. We are just denying the opportunities we have to learn patience simply because we adopt a non biblical translation of this verse. You are to be patient. It doesn't say you are to be patient except when in traffic and in a hurry to a meeting. Did it say that? Mm-hmm. But how many of us have been in traffic in a hurry to a meeting and somebody pulls out who is, who is driving extraordinarily slow? If there was a ticket you could give out for slowness, this person should get it. I mean, the sign clearly says 45 miles an hour, not 15. 15 is not acceptable. And how many of you know you get behind that person and every single time that you find a person who's driving 15 miles an hour in a 45-mile zone was in a hurry to get in front of you? And they pulled it. Yeah, you saw that one, did you? <laughs> they pulled out so that you had to put your brakes on As they come on it, because they're in a hurry to get in the road, but now they're not in a hurry anymore. Hurryness is gone. Now, you should not have to be patient with a person like that, should you? You should be able to take this verse and park it for a little while. And just say, well, patient, except for these situations. No, patient. A servant of God should be patient. Which means you have been given a glorious opportunity to practice being patient. Whatever it is that we have done, and we have done it well, we have practiced, haven't we? If you like to play basketball, how do you get good at it? You go out in the court and you shoot, you play, you dribble, you do stuff. If you like to sew, how do you get good at it? By doing it, by practicing. If you want to become a good cook, how do you become a good cook? By practicing, by doing the thing. Whatever it is that you want to be good at, practice. Do some things. Get out there. Now, that probably shouldn't apply to driving because people who aren't good at driving shouldn't be out there practicing. (laughs) But you know they are. are. (laughs) They're out there all the time. It doesn't seem to be helping. (laughs) But these people are out there. But patient, this is how we are to be. And so we have opportunities all over the place that come. But what happens is we park what we're supposed to do on the sidelines and we pick up what we have been. And we begin to say some things about the person who's driving in front of us. About their skills as a driver. About the functionality of their car. A number of different things of, of, that, of that era. And we're, we're bypassing the opportunity to be patient. How can we become patient if we keep putting it off on the side? If we keep saying it's because I'm in a bad mood. If we keep saying it's because of the person in front of me. It's because of a nasty boss that I have. It's because I wasn't promoted when I should have been. It's because they didn't give me the raise that they should have given me. If we keep not practicing patience when these things are going on around us, when will we ever practice it? If a person in the family wants to become a a better cook than they are, and every time dinner comes up, they're busy. I can't cook. I can't. No. Can't do it. How come? Well, I just I have stuff to do. You've got to take the opportunities that are there. Practice. Practice. When somebody pulls out in front of you and you want to get aggravated, practice being patient. Not becoming patient. Practice being patient. I'm a patient person. Yeah, but I'm in a hurry. And it's a, you know, God wants me to be on time. It's it's good that a servant of God is on time. It's good. Is it better that a servant of God is on time or that a servant of God is fruitful? Does God ever say he will cut off branches because they're not on time? I didn't read that in John chapter 15. That wasn't one of the things that he gave. But if they're not fruitful, what happens? So you have fallen into the, the practice, into the understanding that at this moment, me not being patient is okay. And me not being fruitful is okay. Why did you adapt to that thinking? Why did you bring that on? The reason we're not becoming more fruitful than what we are is because we keep letting these things hang around. We keep finding excuses for why they're there. Well, I was doing fine all day today until I talked to that person. Oh, they got me so upset. The things they said, the things they did, they were so rude, they were so this. Be gentle to all and be patient. Patient is a state of being. Be in that state. You can blame everybody for why you're late to that meeting, but isn't the real reason you could have left earlier. And if it really meant so much to you, why do not you just leave earlier? Why'd you put yourself in a situation where now you're not bearing fruit when you could be bearing fruit? One of the things that we picked up on when we were coaching basketball, and you know, I'm not a big basketball player, but you know, when you coach it, you've got to read up, and so you know, read up on some things. And for the age group that we were doing, constantly, when the boys came on in and they were shooting, they would shoot from here. They would shoot from here. They shot from every place except where they're supposed to shoot. When you shoot a basketball, the way that you are supposed to shoot is a textbook way. And they only want to see one way. If you ever go to college, and they want to recruit you, they only want to see you shooting one way. They don't want to see you shooting any other way. When they see you shooting, your feet, your legs... Your body all has to be in a certain position, but in particular, your, your hands have to be in such a way that one hand is under the ball and one hand is on the side. And it's pulled back so that it's over your head and then you shoot. And it's all done with the one hand. You ever see the guys in the, on the pro, pro court and they shoot and it's always like that? They're, they're following picture perfect style. It's not just there to, to look good, it actually changes the way that the ball flies. It actually changes your accuracy but constantly you'll find the boys and they're shooting from here because it's easier. And if you shoot from here, for that moment that you bring the ball up to here, you cannot see the basket. And if you shoot from here, you don't get the aiming that you get from up here. It's the same thing with football. There are certain mechanics with football that the certain way that you're supposed to throw. And a lot of times if you're watching football, they're showing you that the mechanics aren't right. The arm is in the wrong spot. The feet are in the wrong spot. The body stance is in the wrong place. You've got to change all that because if you do, the accuracy comes in. But if you keep doing it the old way, you will never change the mechanics. The hardest thing to get these boys to understand was you've got to be willing to take a step back. You've got to be willing to bring the ball up to here and to shoot and to miss some. Because if you don't learn to shoot from here, you can only get so high. But if you learn to shoot from here, I mean, do you see some of those guys, that not even just pros, college? I mean, they just pull up, get up there and shoot, and they're just sinking from all over the place. It's like, wow. How do you get that ball into that hole consistently? Just swoosh. Just right down. Because they out there and they practice. They practice the right way. Every single time that we get behind that aggravating driver, every single time we're in an aggravating situation at work or in the neighborhood, And we react in a way that we are not patient. We are not gentle. We are learning the old way. We are teaching ourselves the old way. The only way I can break it is to teach myself the new way. Be patient. Be gentle to all, but be patient. Be patient. That is something that you have to do. That you have to be. If you do... It'll change your life. God's word says it. Be patient. The other thing he said in verse twenty-four was to be humble. To be humble. My dad used to always tell me about a, a the book that he wrote, "The Seven Most Humble Men in the World," and how I met the other the other six. <laughs> it's a great book. He did a nice job of that. Because one of the things we think is that humble people can't admit that they're humble. If you admit that you're humble, then you're not humble. Well, that's tough for God to say, I want you to be something, but you can't ever admit that you're because you are, you're not it. Who was the most humble person in the entire Bible? One person stands out. God says he was the most humble of all. Moses. Do you know why we know that? Because Moses wrote it. In fact, he comes right out and says, now Moses was the most humble man in all the earth. But he was the, he was the author of that book. So how is it that you can say I'm the most humble that there is and still be humble? Because <laughs> we have a misunderstanding of what humbleness is. Humbleness, we think, is to think I am nothing. And that is not. The Word of God never tells you to think yourself as nothing. Never. Not one time. In fact, think, you, ought to, you ought to think of yourself as something. The thing is, is to stop make looking at other people as less than you. It's nothing to do with about how you look at other people. It's about how you look at other people. Stop looking at other people in such a way to exalt yourself over them. I am better than they are. That's not being humble. Moses knew the way he looked around at people was different. That's why he can write it. Now, there was no one else more humble on all the earth than Moses. <laughs> now, there's a difference between those who become gentle, patient, or humble and those who wear it. There's a difference between those who become gentle, patient, or humble and those who wear it. There is a difference on this. This is the thing we got to do. Most Christians are wearing... Patience. They're wearing humility and they're wearing gentleness. They are not becoming it. Mark chapter 4, verse 3. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Did that seed become fruitful? Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. Did that seed become fruitful? Those seeds didn't even grow, did they? Third, but when the sun was up, and um, some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth. It immediately sprang up because I know that we be Okay. But when the sun was up, it was scorched and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no crop. Now here's the difference between the first two and the third one. Between the first two, they never matured. They never grew. The third one grew up to be a plant but never became fruitful. The other ones died off. This one did not become fruitful because of the things going on around it. Because they kept thinking, well, I have to be gentle to anyone but my spouse. They allowed wrong teaching to come in, wrong things to come in. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced some 30, some 60, and some 100. So the first two died off. The third never became fruitful. And the fourth produced varying amounts of fruit. The purpose of the Father Pruning is to make you more fruitful. To get you from the 30 to the 60. To get you from the 60 to the 100. To get you to become more fruitful. That's the purpose of His pruning. That's what He wants wants you to do. Now, I left it off in your outline and I didn't, uh, I didn't put it on mine either, but there was a scripture I wanted you to, to see in in regards to this. And that is when Jesus came and He approached the Pharisees. And He approached the Pharisees and He says, because the Pharisees had, had said, uh, how come your disciples... No, they're they're eating with unwashed hands. How come? I mean, they, our 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 law, our ceremony, we should both be out there washing your hands, getting everything clean. And Jesus said to them, he said you care a whole lot about the outside of the cup. But what's important is what's on the inside. You spend all your time focusing and cleaning up the outside, and the inside is ugly. It's like the one that came out of the dishwasher, and food came up right inside the cup from one of the plates or something and just stuck there. Oh, that's not good looking. It doesn't make you feel real good about that. But he said, if we just put on, if we just wear gentleness, patience, and these other things that we're supposed to become, if we just put them on and wear them. And we take them off at any time we want. This is what most Christians are doing. We're putting it on now, but then we take it off. I put it on now, but then when I find that unruly customer service person, I take it off. I put it on, but when my husband comes home in a bad mood, I take it off. I put it on, when my kids are disobedient, I take it off. I put it on, but when such and such an in-law comes over, I, I take it off. There's a difference between wearing gentleness, patience, humbleness, and being gentle, patient, and humble. God wants us to be it. In James chapter 3, verse 7, For every kind of beast and bird of the reptile, the creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father and with it we curse men. In other words, I can put it on, I can take it off. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing, my brethren. These things ought not to be so. Out of the same mouth can can come patience and non-patience, humbleness and non-humbleness, gentleness and non-gentleness. These are the things that he's talking about. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct by that his works are done in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. If I'm in a bad mood and I spout off at someone, what is, what is coming out of my mouth? Self-seeking and envy. Wrong stuff. Bad stuff. This is not good stuff coming out of my mouth. Self-seeking. When I'm upset because I'm in a hurry and the guy pulls out in front of me and goes real slow. Whose concern is at the forefront? Mine. I am self-seeking. I have taken off the other things. Uh, We have to be. Be these things. We have two groups of people in this church right, right here today. Two groups of people. Only two groups. We have male and we have female. Isn't that right? Males are always males. Females are always females. We're not talking about that group people like to try and alter things and change things. We're talking about normal people. (laughs) You have males, you have females. Females act one way in some situations. Males can act another way in other situations. But you know, you can kind of... But males are males. And females are females, right? We can't put on femininity. We can't put on being a male. We either are male or we are not. We either are female or we are not. That's all that there is to it. And you either, this is what God wants you to do. I want you to be the same way. I want you to be patient. Just be it. Don't put it on. Be it. Be patient. Be gentle all the time. All the time. Just be gentle. Be gentle to all. Be patient. Be humble. This is what we need to do. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Don't wonder why the bad stuff is around in your life. Don't wonder why you get confused about things in the Word of God. Do not wonder about it. It is because you are not what you are to be. And if you become these things, the Word of God will open up to you like it has never opened up to you before. There will be nothing in the Word you cannot understand. Nothing. You can get it all. Because there you can even go before God. Father God, I, there is no envy, there is no self-seeking in my life. So there is no confusion and no evil thing in my life either. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Oh, what a verse. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality Without hypocrisy. Boy, we could spend a long time on that one. Here's what I want you to get from this. This is in your outline. Last thing on it. What we practice, we become. What we practice, we become. How many of your parents, even got a commercial about this, how many of your parents told you that if you kept making that face, it would stick? (laughs) Right? Now that never happened. But what God tells us is this. What you practice, you will become. If you practice being patient, you will be patient. If you practice being humble, you will be humble. If you practice being gentle, you will be gentle. Practice it. Make it part of you. This is what you need to be. Not what you need to put on every once in a while. And once you get to the place, and believe me folks, you can get there. Don't give me this pie in the sky thing. well, you never quite get there. You're always... No. (laughs) You can get there you can get there. When you can get to that, that spot and you're patient and somebody pulls out in front of you and does something wrong, get into the Christmas season and somebody line cuts you. Mm-hmm. You see, you're gentle, patient. It's not going to bother you because for you, being fruitful is more important than one or two people in line ahead of you. Being fruitful is more important than being able to go 45 miles an hour down the road when we get ourselves to that place, then I am first and foremost fruitful. Our lives drastically change. The things that would take you weeks to study in the Word of God will come to you in hours, minutes. You ask God a question and God tells you. Things will change greatly. Because there are some people who produce 30. There are some people who produce 60. 60. And there are some people who produce 100. There is something tangible that makes a difference between those who produce 30, those who produce 60, and those who produce 100. Thank God we can get an understanding of that. We'll get more into this next time because we need to know what are the keys that will get me into more production of fruitfulness, of being fruitful, that patience just comes out. Gentleness just always about me. Because this is what the Word of God told me to be. This is what it told me to, to do. Would you all stand up with me? We told you these ladies that we opened up with in the story in the beginning. You could tell they were meditating on something. You could tell. One woman who says, the men aren't going to take me out of the church. You could tell she's been meditating on something for a little while. We've all had some things that have gone on in the past, and we've been meditating on them. We've been thinking on them. And you know what? It's holding you back. It's hindering you. Don't accept the translation that says, I can be gentle to all except for certain ones. Don't accept the translation that says, I'm going to be patient when I deem it necessary. Now, Father God, I will be patient always. I will be gentle to all. And I will be humble. And I will practice it every opportunity that I get. Because every time that someone pulls out in front of you, does something against you, and you can be thinking, this is an opportunity for me to practice what I want to be. This is my opportunity. Don't let it go. Don't let it go. Oh, if I wasn't in such a hurry, I wouldn't let it go. But I, oh, I just can't. No, you can. You can. Don't let it go. How many of you can think of some things right now that have been bugging you in the past? Things that have gone on? Things that are, uh, the people have done? How many can think of things right now? And they bother you. You think of them sometimes at nighttime. You think of them sometimes in the morning. You think of them when you're praying. And you say, Father God, I have all this hurt. I have all this stuff on the inside of me. You're meditating on the wrong things. You need to get rid of it. The same way that God forgave the hurts, you need to let go of those hurts in the past. You need to stop harboring on them. You need to stop thinking about them. And embrace the joy, the peace, things that come because we're following in the fruits we're letting the fruit of God, the fruit of the Spirit come out in us and these are the things we're going to be these are the things I am, these other meditations will mess you up don't even bother with them just let them go, would you all bow your heads with me you have a certain situation that's going on from the past or from situations that, have, that are just holding you back, they you just keep, they keep coming to mind Come on up here if you want prayer for that. We want to pray for you. We're going to pray for God to remind you about these things. And every time these things come up, oh yeah, I I don't need to hang on to that. See, the devil's got an anchor in your life and he's trying to keep you to hang on to that anchor. Let the anchor go. Just let it go. You can't change what people have done to you in the past. But you can change where you go in the future. Let God take you on. Anybody want to pray here before we go to here this morning? Just come up here to the front. We'll pray over you. Now again, we can't can ever pray for people to, for God to do it. There's certain things we gotta do. But oh, thank God we can pray. We can pray and God can minister to us and help us. Because God wants us to get there. Oh, he wants us to get there. Because God loves us. Ask my wife to come on up too.